Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Audio Description Project session on diversity describing race, skin color, ethnicity, gender, disability in today's audio description environment. I'm Kim Charlson, and I'm the co-chair of the Audio Description Project and one of the hosts for today's program. The first thing I want to do before I forget is to tell everyone the opening CEU code so I can get that out of the way. The opening code is 38868. That's 38868. And I want to welcome everyone. And we have a wonderful panel today. I want to acknowledge my co-host, co-moderator, Peggy Garrett, who is the chair of the ACB Multicultural Affairs Committee. And we're co-hosting this event together. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Kim. How are you today? Very good. Thanks. Thank you so much for inviting MCAC to co-host today. I am really excited about the panel. Well, I think this is going to be a great panel. It's going to be direct and thoughtful discussion um, by an expert group of panel members who are experts and experienced with audio description and the importance of diversity within the field. How can we do this in today's diverse world and do it right? And how we can reflect upon what consumers need and what consumers want to hear in this process. So I'm just going to quickly go through who our panelists are, and then we will begin hearing from each of them. And then we will have some, probably knowing this group, we'll have some interesting dialogue among the group itself. And if there is time toward the end, we can take some questions. But as I've continued to say all along, this is the first conversation of what I believe will be many on this topic because we have a long way to go and we need to make progress. And the best way to do that is to start having a conversation. So the order, just to reiterate for the group, because I'm not going to to give the uh, bios and backgrounds in the exact order that we're speaking, but for today, we're going to hear from Renee Arrington Johnson, then Thomas Reed, Rachel Hutchinson, Cheryl Green, and then Maria Diaz. And let me just tell you a little bit about each of them. Rachel Hutchinson is the Project and Community Engagement Manager for the Royal Holloway University of London program, Inclusive Description for Equity and Access, IDEA. She's from London, England. Thomas Reed of Read My Mind Radio is from Pennsylvania and an experienced audio description producer and consumer. Cheryl Green is an audio describer and narrator from Portland, Oregon. Maria Vicky Diaz is the director of Decapta Foundation of Florida, which is a producer of audio description in primarily in Spanish. And Renee Arrington Johnson is an audio description consumer and a member of the ACB Audio Description Steering Committee from Ohio. So that's our group of panelists today, and we're going to begin our discussion with Renee Arrington-Johnson. So Renee, 
Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be part of the committee. First, a little bit about me. I am a African-American woman with dark brown, curly, wavy, coily hair that's right now about at my shoulders. I have the part on the side. I'm wearing some glasses that are for reading. I have a little bit of vision, but not a lot. I have a mole on my uh, right cheek. I'm wearing silver hoop earrings and a black t-shirt. And in my background, there's a vase of flowers and a couple of chairs and a window and a wall that's color. I'm not real great at discerning some kind of neutral color. And so I'm, I'm glad to be here talking about audio description and um, why do we want to describe audio description and why we want to describe ethnicity, race, gender, and things like that in audio description. And sometimes when I hear that question as to do we want to describe it, for me personally, I'll say, why is it even a question? Because I am a person who likes to have information about everything and I like to decide for myself you know, what is and is not important to me. If I was going on a trip or if I was going on vacation, I want to gather all types of information. And it's the same for me when I'm watching a movie. I am a person that likes to know all of the detail. I like to know the race, the gender, what a person is wearing, you know, what's going on in the background. And I know that's a lot to ask of audio description, but I do truly believe that all of these things are important. And a lot of these things like race and gender are things that help us to identify with the characters in the movie. Um, just like in real life, those are things that help you identify with people. Um, when I uh, think about, this, about describing race and gender and ethnicity, um, it comes to mind to me one of my favorite movies, which is The Color Purple. I am a person that has had vision, always had a vision problem, but I've lost vision through the years and it's steadily getting worse and it, I can't watch movies the way I used to watch them. But the first time I saw that movie, it was done so well, so beautifully and, and the cinematography is, is gorgeous and the acting is great and the emotions of the people's faces and who those people were and what they looked like is so much of a part of that film. And there's a scene in that film where there's two characters, um, Seely and Suge, and they're two brown-skinned women with their, that are getting up in age and their hair is kinky, curly, pulled back, a little bit of gray. They're walking through a field and the field has tall grasses that are blowing in the breeze and the sun is shining and the sky is blue and as they're walking through the field, Suge says to Seely that she thinks God gets mad when, we, when he has the color purple out there for you to see and that you don't notice it. And that's one of the things about that movie that has always stuck with me because I think that movie was so well done. And I do understand that there is an audio described version of that movie, but I've never seen it because <laughs> I want to know too much about who did it before I do, because I don't want it to ruin the experience for me, because I know how important all those visuals were in there. But when a movie does not describe the color purple for me, and that's what I want audio description to do. I want audio description to describe the color purple for me. Everything that's part of that movie is important, and 
in my mind, it's what you connect with as a human being. And my past experiences have me connect with certain things and other people's past experiences have them connect with certain things. And that's why I believe that audio description describing everything that you see is so important to people and particularly to me as a African-American woman you know, with a disability, I want to know <laughs> what is up there on the screen so that I still have that experience that I've had throughout my life. I want to continue to have that experience of enjoying the arts by having audio description to describe all those things that make us different and beautiful and unique and interesting so that I can still have that enjoyable movie experience. That is my contribution. Thank you, Renee. That was great. Thank you. I, I will kick it off to, to Thomas. Thomas. Thomas, we'd like to hear from you. Sure. Great. Well, thank you. Greetings, everyone. So yeah, my name is Thomas Reed. And um, since we're talking about identity, let me self-identify as much as possible. Um, my pronouns are he, him. I'm a cisgendered, brown-skinned Black man who also happens to be Afro-Latino, as my mother was born in Puerto Rico. I have a smooth, shaven, bald head, goatee, and dark shades. I'm seated in my vocal booth in my home, which is in the Poconos, which is Northeast Pennsylvania. But I'm, I'm still a kid from the Bronx. I always have to throw that in there. Sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I want to approach this topic mainly from the perspective of a content creator, the producer and host of Read My Mind Radio, which is a podcast where I feature compelling people impacted by all degrees of blindness and disability. And occasionally, I share my own experiences as a man adjusting to becoming blind as an adult, which is also one of my identities. Audio description can be a very important part of that adjustment process. In varying degrees, those adjusting to blindness as adults were once considered a part of the larger society, if you will. Their identity may or may not have been impacted by disability, but they had access to visual information, right? Like the skin color, facial expressions, disability on screen, and more. They, again, in varying degrees, may or may not have seen themselves represented in popular culture. In 2018, I published a critique of the audio description in Marvel's Black Panther. And my opinion was, and still is, that more consideration should be taken to assure that narrators are appropriate for the content. This goes beyond voice and includes cultural and other identities as well. However, the critique went beyond this, right? It included making use of pre-show to expand on the provided description in order to better describe people and setting. I suggested that Ryan Coogler, the director of Black Panther, would probably not have casted the AD voice talent selected for that film if Ryan Coogler was making that decision. Therefore, moving the responsibility of producing audio description from the very last step before distribution to pre and the production process. So notice that I use the term cast, right, for the describer. And I think there are real benefits to looking at this process in that way, especially when the project is cultural specific. So shouldn't the voice of the narrator reflect that culture? I think so. The importance becomes very apparent when specific dialect, accents, terminology isn't properly delivered. Black Panther was not the first experience leading to these thoughts. It just happened to be a major release 
and a blatant representation of the inequities of AD. Audio description, though, like anything else, is affected by the systems that are in place. So last year, the combination of the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, adding COVID-19, all led to greater awareness and more conversation about systematic racism, police brutality, but it was in no way new or shocking to anyone who has been affected or has been paying attention. For years, the working guidelines for audio description have been, I should put those guidelines in quotes, right? So it's quote guidelines. What most writers and practitioners of audio description have been taught was that skin color was not important unless it was relevant to the plot. This is also known as the colorblind approach. Supposedly the idea that one is only concerned with the content of a person's character and therefore race, color doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. Dr. King's words are always kind of used to support this colorblind approach. So let's look at the actual quote. I have a dream that my four little children will someday live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. At no time did Dr. King suggest that race, color doesn't matter and that it should be erased. Rather, it was a challenge to acknowledge and recognize and respect differences, just not use them to prejudge. Colorblind approach to AD in the real world often meant identifying Black people and other people of color in films when someone deemed it appropriate. That suggested that white was the standard, that white was the norm. And that in itself is the perpetuation of white supremacy. So consider that describing skin color, disability, providing the information to enable blind people to be informed of all sorts of representation, that's a strike against white supremacy. It's anti-racist, it's anti-ableist, it's anti-sexist and more. The funny thing is that even for those blind people who would support white supremacy, at the end of the day, whether the content consumer is blind or low vision or fully sighted, we're talking about access to information. What we decide to do with that information is our business. Films, television, and theater, art in general, is rarely just about entertainment. It's the way we express ideas about all sorts of real-world issues. It's how we imagine future societies and explore history. Audio description enables us as blind people to more fully engage with content, with that visual content, and therefore participate in these discussions. It's the way young blind children can see themselves and characters on the screen. They can know whether or not they, in any of their identities, are represented. So if we really want to someday get closer to that idea of judging people by their content, maybe we need to address the way we view differences. And the only way for us, <laughs> as blind people, to view difference on screen is through fully inclusive and equitable description. Including identities and description on screen benefits us all. But the colorblind approach ultimately erases people of color. As I mentioned earlier, this isn't new. This is not new to the communities that have been affected for all these years. Therefore, it's imperative that the communities that are being erased are involved in any sort of data gathering and analytic process. So I understand how business decisions are made, right? So we need data, we need statistics, but if that data does not include those who are actually marginalized and erased, then it's not complete. So, I mean, 
you know, we say within the disability community, right? We say nothing about us without us. So on that note, the AD movies, in my opinion, should be watching and learning from the disability community. Some of the coolest innovations, progressive ideas around AD are happening in the disability arts movement. And we're fortunate today to have Cheryl, who is very actively producing some of that. It's being done in a way that is artistic, empowering, very inclusive, and most of all, it centers blind people. Describing skin color and identity, it doesn't seem to be as much of a question as it's just like something people seem to respect and see as relevant. Not colorblind, but embracing and respecting differences. Ultimately, this conversation about describing race, color, identity, is about the right to be seen and the right to exist, the right to have access. That's just my opinion. And uh, thanks, Kim, for allowing me the opportunity to share this, uh, this perspective. Thank you, Thomas. Here, here. What great thoughts. Absolutely. So I want to turn and cross the pond to hear from Rachel Hutchinson, who is going to tell us about a research study and a report that has been written by the organization she's affiliated with and partnering with, uh, Vocalize, about describing the aspects of race and ethnicity and gender that we've been talking about here today. So Rachel, we are thrilled to have you. And please, somewhere in your conversation, reference the website so those listening can find the report that you're going to tell us about. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Kim. Um, First of all, thank you very much for the invitation to speak today. I'm really, really pleased to be here and and to listen to you all. So I'm Rachel Hutchinson. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a white woman in my early 40s with blonde hair tied back in a ponytail. And I am a researcher who specialises in audio description. I'm also representing two colleagues today who I want to mention because I've worked with them incredibly closely on this project for the last few years. This is Professor Hannah Thompson from Royal Holloway University and Matthew Cock, who is the Chief Executive of Vocalize, um, an audio description organisation here in the UK. So just to give you a little bit of context and background, the research project I'm going to talk to you about is called Describing Diversity. You can find the full report and our recommendations on the Vocalize website. And this was a collaboration between Royal Holloway and Vocalize. It really came about through discussions that have been building over the last few years. I remember being at a a Vocalize Away Day. So what they do is they get their pool of freelance describers together in a conference room and they spend the day talking about all things audio description. And this question of describing people, describing people's physical characteristics and differences, essentially, and diversity was something that really dominated those discussions and and describers quite understandably saying, how do we do this? What's the best thing to do? There's quite a high level of uncertainty and, and anxiety about it. So what Vocalize and Royal Holloway decided to do was to launch a research project to really dig into these questions and to consult outside Vocalize, consult with the wider world about this. And the question we were addressing was how and when do we describe people's diverse characteristics in audio description for theatres? We're looking specifically at theatres, but, but it, you know, it's relevant to other contexts as well. And we were looking at race, disability, gender age and body shape. 
primarily. So the first thing we did was we designed a survey which we sent out internationally and we got detailed views and responses, opinions from around 250 people. So audio description users, audio describers and theatre professionals. And we got an incredible response. People put so much time and effort into the things that they wrote for us. And you won't be surprised to hear probably that the findings actually opened up a lot more questions than they resolved. Fascinating, important questions like, how do we decide when it's relevant to describe diversity? Who gets to decide that? Should we describe inclusive incidental casting? Is it the role of audio description to educate the audience about diversity? What is the role of audio description anyway? Is it art? Is it access? Is it both? How can theatres and describers work together on this? So the next phase of our research was to conduct some in-depth interviews and we also ran workshops with the pool of freelance audio describers who work with Vocalize, over 50 of them, and we really dug deep into these problems through those interviews with, um, with theatre people, with audio description users and with describers and then with the subsequent workshops. And our key recommendations, which again you can find in our report in a separate documentation about the recommendations on the Vocalize website. Some of the key recommendations that we came back with were these. Don't describe the race of some characters and not others. So for example, make sure you name whiteness as well as blackness. And describe fairly. Make sure that you're giving equal weight to characters that are equally important to a theatre production. So don't over-describe some and under-describe others. And we found through our research that this was happening quite often when audio describers didn't know which words to use. And we found that they were describing Caucasian actors more than actors of colour in the UK. Don't let a default be presumed for a production. So if need be, state what your default is for a particular production. Say what that is up front, because it can save time, it can save you repeating lots of information. But it's good to be transparent about any assumptions that you're making. Um, avoid using language with judgments or microaggressions. So for example, negative judgments about women, about people with disabilities. If this is in tone with the production, then again, it's about saying that you're doing it for this reason. And this is a deliberate strategy or decision. Kind of thinking of the audio describer as a, a sort of translator, the way a translator would account for their decisions. We're submerging describers to do the same thing. We were recommending that audio describers consult with actors when they can and make use of the vocalised character questionnaire that we've developed again on the website if you want to read it. They do the research to get the information that they need to describe. And fundamentally, our recommendation is always to include information about diversity because it will almost always be relevant to somebody in the audience. And it's so important to represent the people on stage. So if we include that, if we give our time and pay our attention and we research the sort of most inclusive and ethical way to describe somebody, then what we're avoiding is that kind of erasure that Thomas was mentioning, you know, that erasure of the diversity of people on stages and screens. And I think we have to avoid that at all costs. So we dug deep into this problem. We consulted with a lot of people. We didn't come back with definitive answers. We never intended to. It wasn't our intention to provide guidelines or a list of approved language or anything like that. We were aiming to identify what the questions were, to bring them into the public domain, get people talking and come up with some suggested strategies that people could think about. So since we published our Describing Diversity research, we have um, continued our work. My colleague Hannah from Royal Holloway 
um, secured an equality, diversity and inclusion grant from the Arts and Humanities Research Council here in the UK. So we are still very busy. What we're doing now, it's a, a knowledge exchange kind of implementation project. We are working with theatres. We're going into theatres, running workshops where we're bringing together audio describers and members of the creative team, actors and audio description users. And we're discussing how diversity can be described. We're running events around audio description to raise awareness of it and particularly around the diversity aspects. So just today, we ran a showcase event with one of our partner theatres called Mind the Gap Theatre, who are a theatre company of learning disabled actors here in the UK. And they've made an incredible film called A Little Space, which is a piece of physical theatre with very little spoken language, lots of movement and imagery and sound and lighting. And the audio description is actually delivered by one of the performers, one of the learning disabled performers in the film, and it's subjective, it's first person, it's, um, it's beautiful, it's a fantastic piece of audio description, it's really innovative, and we're, we're really mm. happy that our project was able to kind of enable that to happen. So I'll tell you later how you can listen to our recording from that showcase if you're interested. So just a couple of other things to mention that you might be interested to explore that we are doing. We are we are creating an open access future learn course about inclusive audio description, which really talks about all of these things that the speakers who've gone before me have mentioned. Um, it's open for enrolments. It starts on the 27th of September and it's going to run for four weeks. It'll run again in January next year. And the way it works is that learners do about three hours work a week online. So you read articles, there are videos to listen to, take part in discussions and quizzes and polls, and you create audio descriptions. And during the live runs, the course will be moderated by Hannah and by myself. And then it'll be available as legacy content online for people to go through independently if they want to. And we've brought together a fantastic group of people to contribute to this. So expert speakers from theatres, audio describers, audio description users. So some really lively and stimulating content to explore in, in that course. So please do sign up. It's free. It's open to everybody. Another resource I'd like to mention, and um, which I know some of you are familiar with already, is we've created an inclusive audio description forum, which is a safe space online for people to meet and share resources and discuss questions. So, for example, there have been some discussions about how to describe somebody with Down syndrome or how to approach describing different body shapes. And people are sharing resources from their different countries. So again, please get in touch with me if you would like to join that. It's for anybody who's interested in AD and in ethical and inclusive description. And on the Inclusive AD Forum, we also communicate a lot of the other work we're doing. So, for example, the showcase that I was mentioning with Mind the Gap with the artist, the performer who was delivering the audio description. We're going to be sharing recordings so people can come back to that if they're interested. So I hope this has given you a bit of an insight into our work and what we're trying to do. I think that these conversations are really important in audio description, but they also resonate with wider society because so many people are really grappling with how we talk about differences between people. And there's a lot of goodwill and desire to move forward and to be open about our thoughts and what we're all learning. Um, and it's really fascinating to be a part of that in the context of audio description. So, well, thank you for listening and um, yeah, looking forward to our discussion. Thank you very much.
All right. Going to hear from a practitioner who's out there in the fields doing description work and narration work. Cheryl, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts and a little bit about your background. And Thomas mentioned your innovative work with the arts and disability community. So thank you for being part of the panel today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Let's see. I am a white woman with olive skin and long, dark brown, curly hair. I've got glasses and I um, have unapparent disabilities. So I tried to bring that also to my work, my personal experiences of disability. But I guess my disabilities aren't something you would audio describe because they're unapparent. So yes, I am both a writer and narrator of audio description, primarily for film, documentaries, dance films. I do a lot of online gallery exhibitions now that everything is online. That's really enjoyable. And, you know, I am happy to talk about my work if you have specific questions. But what I wanted to start with was to lift up some really interesting work that other people are doing. And that's because for me, ongoing continuing education is probably the most important part of my practice. It's really important to focus on the education of audio describers. Who are they learning from and how are these things being taught? And as has been said before me on this panel, none of this is new. This is not the first conversation on these topics. This has been going on for many years, but I'm not, you know, some of the education I've experienced doesn't talk about this stuff. So I'm really glad it's happening here today. I will give my favorite plug for my continuing ed. Uh, That would be Thomas Reed's podcast, Read My Mind Radio. It's not a panel for me unless I plug that show. It is outstanding. It's such a great show. If you have any questions about audio description, blindness, disability, culture, equity on many, many axes, that is the place to go. Again, he's been talking about it since the inception of his show. And I really, in terms of continuing ed, like the flipping the script on audio description series where he's talking to other audio describers. So I can try to incorporate some of their expertise into my practice. The first person I want to kind of lift up is Dr. Mario Jose Garcia Vizcaino. She's a professor at Montclair State University, and her students got an achievement award from the ACB in 2019. And that was for some really groundbreaking work that they did on live theater Spanish audio description. Thomas mentioned language and dialect. That was something that was super important to them as they put together this. And I really admire the way that Professor Garcia Vizcaino focuses on cultural competency in the audio description script writing, in the way the descriptions delivered, how her students interacted with the audio description consumers at the live theater event. It's not a simple matter of translating visuals into words. It's a matter of respect for cultures. And I think that has to be front and center when you're asking, is it relevant to tell the audience this? Well, will it show some respect to the cultures of the audience and, you know, the content and the people in the film? I think that's always important. And, you know, I hope we can all take up Thomas's call to have audio description be a place where we dismantle white supremacy. I think that's a lovely goal for audio description, not just to entertain and inform. The other person I wanted to let people know about is Rebecca Singh, who many here probably already know. She's an audio describer in Canada. Her company is called Superior Description Services. I love that name. And she has written an anti-racist audio description manifesto. It's a very quick, easy read, 11-point manifesto. I think it is so important for all describers to be reading this. I think it's really important for white describers like me to say the word anti-racist. Like, yes, I want us to practice it, but I'm still waiting for a lot of white people to catch up and even say the word anti-racist. So I really like this work that she is just giving us. 
It's going to be published in her chapter in the upcoming Rutledge Handbook to Audio Description this fall. And then she's planning to have the manifesto itself as a standalone be somewhere online that is easily accessible at some point in the future. She's still refining it. So that is a piece of wisdom that's just going to be available for all of us. And the work that these two people are doing stands out to me. It really beautifully demonstrates how race, ethnicity, gender, disability, these things are always important to describe. They're always important. I think that, I mean, this has already kind of been said on this panel, but I think that there is a push to try to leave things out to make a quote unquote neutral experience, but we don't live in neutral experiences. Human lives are not neutral. They're not apolitical. And so this thing about being colorblind or neutral is quite nonsensical, actually. Well, it's white supremacist, but outside of that, there is no other explanation for it. So I think that we owe it to people to give thorough, thoughtful, sensitive audio descriptions. We want them to be immersive and relatable. Thomas talked about the describer for Black Panther, not relatable. I think that when we try to be neutral and maybe leave descriptions of identity and experience out, That, as was said already today, that erases difference. And the point of erasing difference is to take people who are already comfortable and make sure they stay comfortable. And the folks who are the most comfortable are often the ones who are already quite well represented and quite cared for. And so rather than continue to let people just sit in that comfort, we have the opportunity to highlight real richness of humanity and the complexity of the performance that we describe. So... I'm just going to leave it there for my turn. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. Great comments. Maria, Maria Diaz, PhD. She's education, experience, and incredibly talented lady. I've had the pleasure of working with on several committees. I'd like to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this wonderful panel. It is really difficult to add anything else after what I have heard from my colleagues. But first of all, my name is Maria Victoria Diaz, and I go by Maria or by Vicky, doesn't matter. So um, that's a huge difference in, in our countries. We use the first and second name equally. So um, Vicky or Maria. I was born in Colombia originally, and uh, like uh, Sofia Vergara and Shakira, and uh, I have the same skin color they have, tan, and I like to use that uh, seeming just to give you an idea, and, and that is not correct. It's the only thing that, uh, that I'm alike with Shakira and Sofia Vergara, just my skin color. Um, my eyes are light brown, and I have a dark brown hair over my shoulders and I wear glasses. I'm hard of hearing and Latina, so please uh, bear with my accent. I started working in audio description 16 years ago, serving uh, the needs of our Hispanic community, specifically addressing the needs of blind children living in Spanish-speaking homes. Um, We are 20% of the U.S. population, and just 10% uh, out of that 20% speak English at home. So specifically in education, it is really important uh, to to consider the importance of uh, the description in, in Spanish. We really need to talk about diversity and celebrate, highlight and, and embrace our differences. My accent is different. My skin color is different. My glasses always still to my left side. 
because I don't have an ear uh, on my left side to hold them. And uh, maybe it's not important, but maybe it is in the conversation. I was raised in a different culture with other uh, rules and beliefs. And it is for all these differences that maybe we're going to have different opinions and perspectives on the same matter, which is great. And that makes our discussions rich and interesting and, uh, and a reflect of, of our societies. So definitely um, we are avoiding troubles by including relevant information, by not including relevant information and when describing. Sometimes the information may be sensitive, but we need to reflect uh, the reality and we need to do what we're supposed to do that is giving access and equal information for everyone as I told you it is really difficult to add anything else to this initial conversation but uh, just uh, something that maybe I would like to point out is the importance of uh, terminology the selection of, termi- of terminology when writing description, specifically specifically in Spanish, we, we have uh, linguistic variations across our countries. And using one word or a different one is really important. So it is the only thing that I would add uh, to, to this conversation. Considering the diverse origins in our society, and try to uh, give that diversity in, in the text that we are writing, in the script that we are writing, and as, as Thomas mentioned it, in the voice that we are selecting for the narration is important to reflect the reality. Those thoughts are particularly important, I think, especially with the language issue and using the correct words. And I certainly want to throw this back to other panelists, and I kind of want to toss it over to Thomas with a comment. I would very much like to hear your opinion and comments about a film that's currently out there called In the Heights. And you mentioned Black Panther earlier, and I would like you to kind of share with us your feelings about In the Heights and invite any of the others to as well. How was that done? Did we learn anything or are we still on the same track and need to keep working? Yeah. And so, well, well, thank you. I would say that that was a sign that we're still kind of on the, on the track there. And and I say this with all due respect, because I, I actually had the pleasure of meeting the describer, the narrator, and she's a very, very nice lady. And so this, again, same thing I said, this is never personal. So I, I think a couple of things that one, so for those who don't know, so that film took place in Washington Heights. It was very much rooted in the Dominican culture of New York City there. And the narrator was not of the Dominican culture. So as I said, so myself, you know, my mother was Puerto Rican. And so I'm, I'm paying attention because the language, right, and some of the, the references. So even when they made reference to, uh, you know, things like, um, you know, cer- certain things, whatever they was, uh, even, even when they say Boricua, which is, which is a, a person who was originally born in Puerto Rico, um, you know, just the, the way it was said, just... Uh, it, it disrupted my experience. doesn't mean that it's going to disrupt everyone's because someone's not familiar. It's not going to do that. But for those who are close or in the culture, it definitely does do that. I think what I would say to that, because this has come up in certain conversations, I think there's a responsibility when folks who are creating or narrating, whatever the part, if, you're, if you play a role 
And you have the opportunity to realize like, hey, wait, I might not be the best person for this role. Like I said, like casting, right? So I say the same thing what I said earlier that I don't think Lin-Manuel would have made that same choice in casting the narrator if he had the opportunity to do that. But I think if I am someone who wants to be a part of making this better, then it's my responsibility to say, hey, I might not be the right role for this. I think a lot of people would get really annoyed if me, a young Black man from the Bronx, and yes, I still say I'm Black. I mean, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from the Bronx. I'm, yes, I am Black. <laughs> but if, if my voice was describing something that was, you know, um, a film that is taking place in Ireland, for example, I think people would have a problem with that, rightfully so, because it, I don't sound like I'm from the culture. So I would have to deny, I would have to, to have to say, you know what, I don't think I should take this on. And I think at some point, we kind of need to think about that. So there you go. Yeah. Anyone else want to comment on, on the In the Heights issue and, and then the broader implications of casting? Maria? Um, yes. So basically, just to add, uh, it is amazing specifically for the casting of, of that film. Um, the entire casting is uh, from uh, Latino, for the, from the Latino community, the entire one. So it is like a, something that uh, we are so proud of it. And then, um, so the description should be exactly in the same representation, I think. And um, but it's just an opinion. Uh, I would like to to hear that just to reflect the the same representation that the film itself intended to do. So, anyone else have a thought or a comment on on this topic, or in response to something that someone else has said, and and you're just bouncing in your seat, wanting to make another comment because you all have opinions and thoughts that I think are valuable to share. Don't need to be shy. <laughs> yeah, I, I will just jump back in real quick, um, Kim. Um, in terms of, of of representation, I think um, you know th- there's even the fact that that was a a all Latino cast, and I know that there were some examples that I was not privy to because, um, for example, there's a wide range of skin tones in Latin culture, um, from the darkest of the dark to very light to to appearing white. And there was no mentioning, as far as my recollection, you know, of what people are. And then what I, what I come to find out about that film is that there was very little representation of Afro-Latino people, which was really ironic because the majority of Dominican Republic, is, and from my understanding, is, is of African descent and, and dark. Um, and so that was, a, that was a side controversy of what sort of was happening. But again, not having access to that information I was unaware until later on. And so that, that's, a, that's an example there of how that mm-hmm. lack of information kind of, you know, leaves yeah. us out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You were not able to discuss about that. Yeah, exactly. that, that's the point. So the, the respect for differences has to be present when we are working in the field, but definitely the recognition of them is the important part here. So um, we are trying to avoid troubles is what I think. Sometimes it's uh, just go in a different direction to avoid any sensitive 
um, comment uh, about race or ethnicity or disability. And uh, so the easy way to solve it is just to avoid it. Yeah. All right. Any other comments from the panel in addition to something that you didn't have a chance to say before I turn to take some questions from our audience? This is Renee Kim. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to know if the study that was done is going to be continued in the future with trying to look at a broader group of people to gather data from. Hi, this is Rachel. Um, So in terms of the work that we're doing, I mean, as you can imagine, it's always funding dependent, right? (laughs) We have to go and get the money to to go and do the work. But yes, we we very much want and intend to. Um, I mean, the Describing Diversity project and the, the report and the recommendations was really just the start. And now, as I said, the work that we're doing now is, is about actually doing something with those ideas and with, with those recommendations and, and taking the work into, into theatres and moving the discussion beyond theatre audio description as well. We've actually been having some really conversa- really interesting conversations about the, the audio introductions, which we use in theatre audio description. So, you know, as the, as the audience take their seats, they, they have the opportunity to listen to the, the kind of pre-show notes, which talk through the visual information, that, the setting, the props, the, the characters and so on. And that gives you so much more space as an audio describer to, to describe the, the characters and their appearance and their hair and their, yeah. their skin and everything else. Because once the, the, the performance starts, you just get these little snippets of time where you can say something in between the dialogue. Now, obviously, what's what's really interesting about that is it, it makes you then think, well, what about if we if we had audio introductions for film and for TV AD? And that's a conversation that that's really picking up pace here in the UK. So one of our major broadcasters, ITV, have been talking to us a lot about our work on describing diversity. And they're really interested in in, in doing this and doing um, more of this in their audio description. They're really passionate about it. And they're looking into whether they can create, provide audio introductions to some of their major drama series, partly with the motivation to be able to do a better job of describing diversity, to have the, the time and the space to be able to, to address these things. So that's a kind of a future direction that I think is going to be really interesting and starting to, you know, to pick up pace over here for sure. And following up to that, do you think that this discussion today might impact some of the questions or the directions that you might go in the future? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. I I really think so. I think it's really exciting that all of these discussions are happening. I'm becoming just aware of more and more places where these discussions are happening, you know, either online or in forums like this. And I think it's really building momentum. I think the more that people are coming together and talking about it, the more it's going to happen. And it's not that long ago that, that Netflix, I believe, put out a statement they've they've changed their their policy on addressing race in audio description I think you know a few people saw that and flagged it on our inclusive AD forum so you know I think things are happening conversations are happening and things are changing but obviously there's a long way to go still that's great I like the idea of the pre-show introduction opportunity to give more information and provide that I'm curious what you all think 
the trend. And partly I think it is to give the audio describer a little more leeway and maybe in some cases a, a comfort zone, but in some cases anyway, the asking members of the cast in the performing arts arena to write their own description instead of the describer crafting it. And I'd like to toss that one over to Cheryl in particular first to comment on. Is this something you you think is a positive? Do you think it's something that we should encourage? What are your thoughts? Uh, Rachel looks like she really wants to speak. Oh. The character questionnaires that we've developed and the way that we're inviting theatres to engage on this, this is not about asking actors to describe themselves and that replaces what the audio describer does. Absolutely not. The audio describer is the professional who is trained to represent the needs of the audience, of the audio description users. And um, we would in no way suggest that we take that job away from them. So what we do suggest is that the actors fill out these questionnaires and this is then another source of information and it's input that the audio describer can can work with and draw upon. And it gives them comfort then that they can, you know, they're using the words that somebody has provided when it comes to identifying them and describing them, but they still, you know, they still have the, the kind of the final say. Thank you. This is Cheryl. I think, yeah, I mean, just what Rachel offered. And I, I think it's really important to ask people to provide some self-description and it's very loaded. You know, I've worked with people who say have a very apparent disability and to ask them to describe their body what it looks like or how it moves is very loaded, very stigmatized, and may be kind of traumatizing for some people. And so then you have to figure out how to balance, how do I give the audience really useful information and, you know, be sensitive to this person who I'm talking about, and they've made it very clear, they don't really want to be talked about. So just like Rachel said, with your study, you don't have answers. It just raises more questions. But I think involving the people being described as often as possible is wonderful. And, you know, an example I'll give, Thomas was talking about some extremely innovative audio description work and ideas coming out of disability community. Kinetic Light, I mean, is by far my favorite group to work with on any audio description project. And, you know, when they first hired me, Alice Shepard was like, Alice and Laurel, the two main dancers are both wheelchair users. And Alice is like, you're not going to say I've got big muscular arms, okay? You're just not going to say that. Now, non-disabled people want to focus on how big they are. Whoa, look at those muscular arms. And I think it's a gendered thing too. Like, whoa, women with big arms. Mm -hmm. Well, they're wheelchair users. So they've developed muscles in their arms from riding in a wheelchair. I don't need to tell you they have big arms. That's kind of objectified. So I think a lot of non-disabled people have an idea of what they want to focus on that feels very tokenizing and objectifying and gross to the person who's in it. Now, I was never going to describe Alice and Laurel's arms, actually. As I was drafting my first ever script with them, their arms weren't in it. I was focused on their choreography, their bodies, what they look like, their costumes, the lighting design, and they review all my drafts. And if I say something, for instance, that sounds, you know, they often will hang upside down from an aerial cable and pedal their hands across the floor. And I think at one point I said that Laurel walks across the floor on her hands. And Alice is like, no, nah, that sounds too non-disabled. She's not walking on her hands. So we switched it to pedaling. So there's so many pieces there where... 
I don't know. I can't imagine being Laurel and watching this film and hearing me say that she walks and Laurel's like, I don't walk. Why would you say that about me? So it's crucial to get input anytime possible. Yeah. This is Maria. But we had this conversation before and this, you can't do that if we are describing in post-production stage. So it just uh, give us again the idea of maybe we, we have to work a little bit more to make sure that the production stage includes consideration about audio description and consideration about how to include accessibility as part of the production instead of the post-production stage of any film. Very Amen. good point. Amen. Absolutely. <laughs> Amen. That's right. I mean, that, that seems to be one of the things that can solve so much of the issues that we have with audio description, moving it to an earlier phase, just like, you know, and, and not to just make audio description accessibility, but just like any good accessibility, we know that it has to take place at the earliest stage possible, which is really the, the conception, right? That, that earliest phase, that development phase. Absolutely. Great. Well, can we try, David, to take a question or two that we might have? I'd love to hear thoughts from any of our listeners. Joel Snyder? This has been fantastic. Um, I want to commend, uh, well, in all of you, but in, I've worked with uh, most of you, uh, and I want to commend uh, Rachel Lowe and her report and the ongoing work of the Describing Diversity. I followed it uh, consistently and uh, all sorts of marvelous um, ideas that need to be discussed. Uh, I presented a paper in Europe two years ago with um, uh, Deb Fells from Ryerson University, who is in Canada, who has done magnificent work with integrating audio description. My paper was entitled, No More Audio Description, Long Live Audio Description. And what I tried to make the point of there is exactly what Maria was just saying, Thomas was just saying, is that we need more integration of description from the get-go. From the, I have had this conversation literally with George Lucas, with Steven Spielberg, with Woody Allen. They had no idea what description's about, that their film was being described that somebody's going to write things about my film that I wrote. Woody Allen actually said that. They need to know from the get-go what's going on. And there needs to be, uh, I think Kim said it earlier, uh, not just uh, uh, some sort of audio, uh, uh, a filmic version of the pre-show in theater. Pre-show in theater we've been doing for 41 years, you know, but the films and the television broadcasts must have an addendum to their websites, their pages that that go into that in-depth description. That's where you can provide all of the marvelous things that you guys are talking about. Um, because as Rachel mentioned, <laughs> during the production, during the film, during the theater event, there's such precious little time. And that's why at that stage, description is often about what not to describe. What are you going to leave out? Because you want to get to the essence. We serve the artist and we serve the audience. So it's a mixture of all these things. I also want to mention, you know, in the year 2000, 21 years ago, I was invited to do description for uh, a series of exhibits, photo exhibits, in a celebration of the 10th anniversary of the ADA. 
And three of the photos were, uh, these were all uh, people with disabilities by the magnificent photographer, Billy Howard. Three of the photos were of people who are black and their blackness was part of their story. It had to be described. And that meant I had to describe the ethnicity or skin color, if you will, of everybody. Otherwise, as I think Thomas said earlier, white becomes the default. Finally, I think this, this can happen in performing arts too. Describers ideally, and by the way, I think Kim knows this. We had a grant some years back to embed a describer in two productions at Arena Stage from the first rehearsal right through the last performance. They worked with the actors, they worked with the scenic designer, the director, to develop the description. So the description has to be a part of it in theater, a part of it in movies and television. Uh, and, you know, if you haven't seen it, uh, go online and see Stevie Wonder's So What the Fuss. He commissioned description for the, the first music video that had description. He commissioned it. He supervised the writing of it. The writing was originated by WGBH. And a stroke of genius, of course, this goes to what Thomas was talking about. It was voiced by Busta Rhymes. It was all a part of the piece. Uh, you, I can't imagine watching that music video without the description. But with the voicing thing, I, I will say one thing, Thomas. I would love to, I have hired black women voice talents to voice description for a lily white film. Had nothing to do particularly with race, except that everything has to do with race. I wanna give opportunities to everybody out there and the description field is woefully underrepresented among black describers. The writers and the voice talents need to have those sensitivities. And uh, as long as they can develop those sensitivities uh, and, and show that in their work, I'm good with it. I would hire you, Thomas, in a minute to describe a film that has nothing to do with blackness necessarily, because you know description and you, you have the chops, that kind of thing. So I've, this, this topic is just fantastic. And I commend uh, you all for your contributions. And we have a long ways to go. You know my email address. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, and let's hope let's hope the thirtieth uh, uh, this this latest anniversary of the ADA has more than three black people pictures. Let's let's just hope for that. That's right. <laughs> it's Mary Haroyan. Hi Kim. Um, I'm from Massachusetts, and um, thank you everyone for this really pretty compelling discussion. So I'm wondering, talking about the description of skin color. So yes, and I I agree about having to describe all skin color because you know white and black and and any other or else it's always going to just stand out and it needs to be more just you know across the board inclusive and so people we as you know consumers of audio description when we're listening to description it's just going to be sort of accepted that you know we're hearing description of characters and it's a might be a diverse cast or maybe it's not, but we we just we learn to make that as part of our um, experience in, in watching or whether it's television or theater or movies, because you know we we just need to know we need to be as aware as sighted people are about the the characters in their their description, and I'm wondering um, how what kind of efforts are being made to 
you know, hire and find audio describers and content writers, you know, who are more diverse. Um, I, I know it's probably, you know, I mean, it's obviously it's a very niche industry, but I'm wondering what kind of efforts are being made towards hiring more diverse describers and content writers. Thank you. I'm just going to throw out a shout out to to um, Eric Wickstrom at IDC, just because I know because he and I have had conversations um, and I know they do a they do a pretty good job and in, in reaching out and and really across all sorts of identities. And so I'm sure there are others, but I, I definitely want to give a shout out to, to Eric at IDC. He also was recognized this year with an audio description project award in particular for his hiring of, of blind describer talent, voice talent, as consultants as well. So IDC definitely gets a thumbs up for sure. Others have a comment into Mary's input? This is Cheryl. I'll throw out there that the Social Audio Description Project is uh, doing a similar thing um, really in who they prioritize hiring uh, for the writing and for the narration. And they're a really small outfit. So I don't know how much resource they have. Folks should hire them, get them more resources. Amen to that one. Thank you. <laughs> we profiled them on our podcast panel um, on Tuesday and they, they are doing some great, really uh, moving forward work, I think. Great. Hi, this is Rachel. I just wanted to make a quick comment, really just as, as Cheryl did earlier, mentioning great work of, of other people. I just wanted to mention Nicola Owen in New Zealand, who I've been speaking to throughout my work, who has been hiring and training Maori audio describers for the description of Maori cultural performances, which is really, really great to hear about. And yes, I, I so much agree with, with your comment, Mary. I know that the diversification of audio describers is a, a huge conversation, an ongoing conversation here in the UK as well. Great. All right. Another question? Sean. Good afternoon. I think it's a, a good panel. And I just, I have some of those same questions. Like Joel was was wondering about, okay, yeah, we so now we know that we need this diversity. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but where are you going to stick all of the extra verbiage when you don't have a lot of pauses to work with anyway, to just, I mean, it's, it's hard enough. I, I was listening to some of the, um, I know with the inauguration and some of the keynotes that Apple has done, the describers have to work so hard to get into the minute pauses they're given anyway. So then how do we, I guess there's going to be a future discussion on how do we technically accomplish this? So, Sean, I think we, we actually talked about some of that. So in terms of pre-show, pre-show is a great opportunity not only to include some of that information, but but even more. And then I also think that, you know, the, the, the writers of audio description, we know they do a fantastic job. And there's opportunities to do that throughout the piece, to, to squeeze something in here. I think it's just a matter of, you know, how we approach it, committing to it. And then again, it goes back to that conversation of, if we can get audio description moved to the pre-production step phase, so directors, filmmakers know, hey, leave a little bit more space. And what you're going to end up hearing when we watch, when we listen to audio description is going to be just better across the board. That's going to be more inclusive and, and have everything that we need in there. So I think there's a, there's a lot of possibility right now and in the future. Uh, this is Maria Kim. I don't know if I can jump in. Um, sure. I think that in addition to that possibility that, that Thomas is mentioning of the director giving us more time to describe, they can they can decide 
on on specific things in their own script to make the film more accessible by itself to avoid the need of audio description. If, if they can just describe something during the script, knowing the need that they are feeling, maybe it's going to be wonderful. Just if we uh, give um, the information that, they, that the industry needs to know. I want to thank all of you for being part of this panel today. And what I've been reflecting on all week is just look back to where we were 12 years ago with audio description and where we are today. There's no question we still have a long way to go, but we have made a tremendous amount of progress. And having conversations like this one today is going to move us forward, I think, even faster in the right direction to be inclusive and to you know, make description cover all the topics and all the people and include everyone um, and give us as consumers the information that we need to fully understand what's on the screen or the stage or in the exhibit. So I just want to, again, thank all of you. I need to give the closing code for those using continuing education. It is 87035. That's 87035. And once again, panelists, thank you so much for your insights and your opinions, thoughts, and direction for the future. I'm sure we'll be talking again. On behalf of the Audio Description Project, thank you to all of you for attending as well.